Welcome to Words of Grace, radio ministry of Elder Ben Winslet, pastor of the Flint River Primitive Baptist Church near Huntsville, Alabama. We invite you to stay tuned to today's broadcast. Our broadcast today is entitled The Importance of Non-Negotiable Concepts. We live in a day that is permeated by a sort of conspiratorial Gnosticism, where to some, nothing is ever believed to be what it has been established as being, and everything is viewed with suspicion and skepticism. Now, when I use the word Gnosticism, I use it loosely, and you probably understand what I mean by that, but if you're not familiar with the term, the Gnostics were 1st century and 2nd century characters who believed that secret knowledge leads to enlightenment, and while that movement among Christianity, thankfully, has been basically extinguished since the infancy of the church, that idea or that notion of having secret information that we're always looking for because the truth is something other than what we understand it to be. That is something that is very prevalent in our social media-driven Western lives. This sort of thing manifests itself in just about every aspect of American life. Social media has made it many times worse People are inherently gullible, and because of that, they're easily duped. If the argument for something is produced well enough, or if they watch a video that seems to present facts and evidence of something, even if it's false, but if it's compelling enough and the production of it is of enough quality, people are brainwashed. They're duped by things. Often in our day and age, the official take is questioned and an alternate theory is introduced as being a true but suppressed fact, and usually there's some sort of a nefarious villain who's to blame. Just to be a little bit comical, to share an extreme example of this would be the resurgence of what we would refer to today as flat earth, as a cosmological model. Now, if you're a flat earther, I'm sorry if I'm about to offend you. But your cosmological model is simply not accurate. It's not true. There's a lot of people that have fallen victim to brainwashing on this subject in today's time. But that doesn't mean it's true. There are simple ways that you can test and prove for yourself that the Earth is round. Proponents of this concept of flat Earth question the fact that the Earth is a globe, and they promote a flat planet surrounded by an ice wall, and Everything that we see up in the sky is some sort of a canopy or a tent that's over the world, and they twist Scripture to say that when that's not what the Bible says. It's not what the Bible presents about the cosmology of this earth. And then they turn around and blame NASA as the villain who pulled the wool over the eyes of the world. And again, none of that is remotely true. I've seen some arguments about this on social media from proponents of this notion. And again, they've been brainwashed on social media to believe this. But if there's a picture posted of Jupiter, they scream CGI. If there's a picture of Saturn, they call it a fake. You can literally go outside with a cheap department store telescope and see Jupiter and Saturn. You can see the moons of Jupiter through a rifle scope. Ask me how I know that? Well, when Jupiter and Saturn were close to each other in the sky, as far as from our perspective, I took my most powerful rifle scope out at night, leaned it on my fence, and looked up and even got pictures with my son's iPhone 
of Jupiter and Saturn. And you could see the rings of Saturn. And that's just a rifle scope. I have a couple of nice telescopes. They're not expensive, but they do a decent job. And I can look up close at the moon. I can see Saturn and Venus and Mars and Jupiter. It's not some grand conspiracy that we live in a solar system. But there are people that absolutely have been convinced of this dark conspiracy that the world is flat and the truth has been hidden from us. And this has spread like wildfire online, duping many people who give such nonsense as that the time of day. Now, I know that that is an extreme example. But as I said, this happens in most, if not all, areas of society right now whether history or politics or science or medicine, and especially religion. Regarding religion, if you couple our desire for this mysterious sort of entertainment with the fact that humans are naturally superstitious, then you have the root of many religious errors and movements in our day today. Now, let me just state up front that reality is reality. There is absolute truth. We're exhorted in Scripture to hold fast that which is true, that which is good. We are exhorted in Scripture to buy the truth and sell it not. That means when we have found something to be true from the Word of God, we are to hold to that. We are to embrace it. We are not to let it go. But that doesn't stop with the Word of God. If I know that we live on the continent of North America, as we have called it, I know that California is out to the west and Georgia is to my east. That's the truth. I'm to buy that and I'm to sell it not. If someone were to come to me and tell me that that's not really reality and I don't need to believe that, it's just a conspiracy and we've all been duped. I know that that's not true. And so I'm going to reject that. There is absolute truth. Relativism, the idea that it's true for you, but maybe not true for me, that's an outright lie. This relativistic society we live in is not what reflects reality. There is absolute truth. Now, we don't always know absolute truth, and that's not to say that there's never a middle-of-the-road approach or a middle ground that we can occupy on a subject. Certainly that's the case, but there is absolute truth, and we ought to do whatever we can to know the truth about any situation, but especially about the Word of God. When something is true, it ought to be embraced, and anything else is not even to be considered. That doesn't make us close-minded. It makes us wise. Sometimes men will come along boasting that they like to, quote, think outside of the box when it comes to Scripture or doctrine or the Bible. But anything outside of the box is error when it comes to the truth. We don't want to think outside of the box when it comes to Scripture. We don't want to think outside of the box when it comes to the Bible. Novelty is great when we're inventing new technology, but not so when it comes to religion. Because God doesn't change. If God doesn't change, and God's Word doesn't change, then theology proper should not change. And that's a very simple concept. Again, God is immutable. God doesn't change. God's Word is not to be changed. If you add to it or take from it, the curses of the book are added unto you. If God doesn't change and His Word is not to change, then theology also should not change. Now, the sad fact is, if we look around the landscape of Christianity, we see countless numbers of ideas and doctrines that stand at opposition, at odds with one another. And that's because someone left the truth. Someone changed. Someone embraced something that is not biblical. But as a rule, theology shouldn't be changing if it's right. 
And if it's wrong, then repentance is needed. But if something is true, we shouldn't even entertain notions to the contrary. Now, the good news is that churches have great tools at their disposal to help them keep a bearing on that which we consider non-negotiable. What might these things be? The most crucial of these tools are our statements of faith. Now, I'm speaking today from the perspective of a primitive Baptist. I'm a primitive Baptist who pastors a primitive Baptist church, a very historic church, a church that is recognized as the oldest Baptist church in the state of Alabama, whose doctrine and practice has not changed since 1808 when this congregation was first organized. I believe the doctrines that are espoused in your average Primitive Baptist Articles of Faith, and that's why I'm a Primitive Baptist. If you've ever researched our people, and many of the people who listen to me belong to Primitive Baptist churches, if you've ever researched Primitive Baptist Articles of Faith, and I have from various associations and churches and regions for a good 300 years on this continent, they're very similar regardless of the era or the location. So whether we're talking about the 1800s or we're talking about today, if we're talking about on the East Coast or we're talking about the West Coast, generally speaking, the Articles of Faith as held to by Primitive Baptist churches are nearly identical, if not completely identical. Now, this might come as a surprise to you if you're a Baptist, but if you rewound history long enough in our continent, you would see that Most of the Baptist Articles of Faith at the time that Flint River, the church I pastor, was founded, most of the Articles of Faith agreed, if not mostly entirely agreed. And this is because the Baptist held to certain principles that they simply considered to be non-negotiable. There were different strands of Baptists. You have the separate Baptists. You had the New Light Baptists. You had the regular Baptists. Eventually, the separates and regulars came together to form United Baptists. And at the time of the founding of Flint River, this term, a United Baptist, is what was used to describe us. Eventually, as the Baptist Church began to evolve and morph away from the doctrines of grace and the regulative principle that Baptist churches had practiced, on this continent since they came to this continent, we added the word primitive to our church name to reflect the fact that we were not changing what we believed and the way that we practiced, and we have stood on that ever since. Primitive Baptist Articles of Faith are usually fairly similar, and they express things, listen to me carefully, that one must agree with or submit to in order to even join a Primitive Baptist church. So when someone joins, we ask them a simple question. When they request baptism, they profess their faith in Christ. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died for your sins? And we baptize people based upon that. But we don't ask them to give us a several-page dissertation on every one of the articles of faith as they're recorded and have been held by our church since 1808. But we do expect that they at least submit to those and never espouse things that are contrary to those articles. To be a member of this church in good standing, you have to be submissive to the articles of faith. When ministers are ordained, they're questioned in front of witnesses and must answer in accordance with these articles to even be granted their credentials as an elder. If I were at an ordination 
And we still ordain our ministers in-house. We don't outsource this to a seminary. If I were at an ordination and the question was asked, do you believe that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the only true and living God? And the person said, you know, I really don't believe that. Maybe they were a modalist. Maybe they were a Unitarian, whatever the heresy may be. I would not proceed with that ordination. We would stop right there and we would leave. There would not be an ordination. Our churches believe in the doctrines of grace. If a question were asked about the doctrines of grace and that person did not espouse the doctrines of grace, that ordination would not continue. That's how important it is to agree on these matters. We consider these non-negotiable issues. Beyond membership or ordination, for churches to have fellowship, their articles must not contradict each other. And if a church—and this is interesting and has happened, this is not unprecedented— If a church was to split 50-50 over core doctrine, and that dispute result in a court case, the side whose beliefs are reflected in that officially organized body's statement of faith or articles of faith has a stronger legal case and would be entitled to the church name, history, and property. So if Flint River split 50-50, right down the middle, and I beg to God that that never happens— But if this church split right down the middle, one side denied the doctrines of grace and wanted to leave the regulative principles of worship, and the other group believed the doctrines of grace and wanted to uphold the regulative principles of worship, the group that held to the articles of faith, the doctrines of grace, the regulative principle, those things that we hold to be non-negotiable, they would have the legal right to the property in the church name. If you depart these bedrock principles, then you basically forfeit your claim to be associated with this group of people. And every different group of people has a statement of faith affirming what they believe. It should be no surprise if I go to a Methodist church and find a Methodist statement of faith. I should not be shocked if I walk into a Roman Catholic church and find a Roman Catholic confession of faith or catechism or other form of teaching presenting their official doctrine, because that organization is founded upon certain doctrines. And I shouldn't be shocked or consider them harsh or picky or dogmatic for simply believing what they were organized on. Does that make sense to you? It should never be a shock to us when people actually believe the teachings of the organizations that they are members of. That actually is the way it should be here on a place that we call planet Earth. Now, regarding our articles of faith, what are on the articles of faith that you might find in an old school Baptist, a primitive Baptist church? And again, I would remind you, most Baptist churches in the United States at the time that our church was founded, the early 19th century, our church, again, dating back to 1808. There are things that you will find in all of them, and I'm going to read ours for you in just a moment. Usually, these begin with the most important issue, the issue of issues, the identity of God. And so, usually these begin with, we believe in only one true and living God, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And what we're saying when we affirm that, and we put it in the Articles of Faith, if it's in the Articles of Faith, it's a doctrine that is primary, it's not secondary, we cannot fellowship with each other, in the church without submitting to these doctrines. The first doctrine of doctrines is that we believe in one true and living God, not more than one God, not a dead God, not an idol, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And as we have 
emphasized over and over on words of grace. The Word of God is God's eternal Son, just as God the Father is God the Father eternally. Eternal Father, Son, or Word, and Holy Ghost. That's usually number one on the articles of faith. Number two is usually we believe the scriptures of the Old and the New Testament as the Word of God and that these are the only rule of faith and practice. So the first thing that our articles of faith point to is the identity of God. The second thing the articles of faith commonly point to is what document exists that we derive our doctrine from. Now, someone who's a scoffer might say, now, wait a minute, you just said that these articles of faith are authoritative, you have to submit to them to be a member of a specific church, and then you turned around and said that the scriptures of the Old New Testament are the only rule of faith in practice. And my reply to someone when they would say something like that, because they know that that's not an intellectually honest reaction to what I've presented to you, is to vacate the seat of the scorner. These ideas are not contradictory. What this is saying when we have a statement of faith is, from the Bible, we believe this is true, and to walk with us as followers of Christ, you need to agree with these doctrines. This is what you need to believe as a statement of faith. Again, this isn't elevating a statement of faith over the Bible. This is what we're saying the Bible teaches, and these are the issues that the Bible teaches that we cannot find wiggle room around. Now, As far as our articles of faith, number one, we believe in the only true and living God, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. Number two, we believe that the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments are the Word of God and the only rule of faith and practice. Number three, our church believes in sovereign grace and has since 1808. We believe in the doctrine of election, that God chose his people in Christ before the foundation of the world. If you're unfamiliar with that concept, back At the end of 2022, we did a series on statements of God's sovereign grace from the Gospel of John. I would encourage you to go back and listen to that broadcast. You can find that at our church website, flintriverpbc.org. It's in our radio archive. Please help yourself to that teaching series. But this church was founded upon sovereign grace all the way back in 1808. Doctrine number four, statement number four, we believe in the doctrine of original sin. That is to say that by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin from Romans 5. But the doctrine of original sin is one that we hold to as historic Baptists, and this is a historic Christian doctrine. The Apostle Paul wrote about this. We believe in man's impotency to recover himself from the fallen state he is in by nature, by his own free will and ability. We emphasize this a lot on words of grace. The reason we believe that is because prior to the new birth— Men are dead in trespasses and in sins, and so they are completely impotent, unable, powerless to recover themselves from the fallen state they're in by nature, by their own free will and ability. The simple way to demonstrate that is if you go to a corpse and you tell the corpse it should reconsider being dead and come to life, what is the corpse going to do? It's going to stay dead, and it's going to rot away and either turn into a mummy if it's been embalmed and put in a tomb, or it's going to turn back to dust, and it might even become a fossil because it's dead. And we can't help that condition that we know as death. Because we're dead in sin, we have no power to recover ourselves. It takes the power of God through the Holy Spirit, as we read in Ephesians 2, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sins. 
Article 6, we believe that sinners are justified in the sight of God only by the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. In other words, in the sight of God. As far as God's courtroom is concerned, the only way you and I can be righteous is if Jesus gives us his righteousness. We're justified only through the imputed righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. The next article, we believe that God's elect shall be called, converted, regenerated, and sanctified by the Holy Ghost. That's simply saying that every single one of them will be taken from death and sin to life in Christ between their conception and their death at some point in their life. They might be like John the Baptist, who was quickened in his mother's womb, regenerated even before he was born into this world. He leapt for joy at the salutation of the mother of our Lord when he was yet in his mother's womb, and God himself said he will be filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. Some people might be born again, like the Apostle Paul, in the middle of their life, full of power and an arrogant enmity against the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus, on the road to Damascus, struck Paul down. He quickened him, he regenerated him, and Paul was a changed man. Or maybe it even happens at the moment of their death, like the dying thief on the cross, who one moment was reviling the Lord Jesus Christ, and the next moment is defending and worshiping Christ. What happened to him? He was called. He was regenerated. He was born of the Spirit of God. The next statement, we believe that the saints shall be preserved in grace and shall never finally fall away. That's one that you find a little variation on from region to region, but they all basically mean the same thing. Some say that we believe that the saints shall never finally fall away. Some say we believe the saints shall persevere in grace. Some say that they shall be preserved in grace and never finally fall away. And that's all communicating the same reality, that once you're in grace, that's where you stay. And that's what persevere in grace means. You persevere in grace. You don't leave grace. You can't jump out of grace. You can't get out of grace. Once you are in God's grace, you're in God's grace. And you'll be preserved there. And because of that, you never finally fall away. And what that means is, if you fall in this life, you're not going to finally fall. In the end, you're going to be with the Lord Jesus Christ because no man can pluck you out of his hand. The next article, we believe that baptism, the Lord's Supper, and washing of the saints' feet are ordinances of Jesus Christ, that true believers are the only subjects of these ordinances, and the true mode of baptism is immersion that simply is stayed on the church ordinances. As a church, we baptize by immersion, we baptize believers, only ordained ministers are allowed to baptize. The communion that we take, the Lord's Supper, is with unleavened bread and grape wine, and those show his death until he comes. Again, these are things that are very important to the local church. The next article, we believe in the resurrection of the dead and a general judgment. That's one that's very important to understand and believe in. We believe at the end of time that all the bodies will be raised, and there will be a general judgment, the white throne judgment, where the sheep are placed on the right hand and the goats on the left we believe that the punishment of the wicked and the joys of the righteous will be eternal. That excludes annihilationism. That excludes no hellism. The next article, we believe that no minister has a right to the administration of the ordinances, only such as are regularly baptized, which means properly or ordinarily, called and come under the imposition of the hands of the Presbyterians. What that's simply saying is as a matter of ecclesiology to administer baptism or to administer communion, you have to be baptized, you have to be called, 
by God as a preacher, and you have to be properly ordained. And that is an area that Baptists in 2023 have completely departed from what Baptists held to, regardless of what type of Baptist they are, throughout church history. Baptists practice very loosely in that area compared to the strictness with which they conducted their business in generations past. Simply put, God-called ordained ministers have the authority to administer the ordinances, and that comes from Matthew 28. Jesus tells the eleven to go and to teach and to baptize. He doesn't tell everyone. He doesn't tell all the disciples. He tells the eleven, the gospel preachers, to go and to teach and to baptize. And then lastly, we believe that none but regularly or ordinarily properly baptized members have a right to commune at the Lord's table. That's simply saying that to take part in communion in a historic Baptist church, you have to first be baptized. We don't believe in open communion, but when Jesus instituted communion, it was done just with his close followers, just with his disciples, and it's connected with church discipline in Scripture so that if I misbehave and fall into sin, I lose the right to commune at the Lord's table. And this is an area that American Christians in particular are very loose on in our day and age as well. Now, sometimes I'll catch wind of men around the country who scoff at the existence of these, and I always wonder what they're really up to. Occasionally, there might be an article or a word or a statement in a local region's articles of faith that need to be addressed and need to be changed because it stands contrary to what the Bible and Baptist theology teach. But that's very rare. Generally speaking, articles of faith ought to just be left alone, and they ought to be the standard of orthodoxy, as it ties us to Baptists of history because we are not some pop-up cult that just began out of thin air at the whims of some cult leader, but we are historically tied to the Baptist people, and what we believe, speaking specifically about our people, reflects their theology through the centuries. Now, if you're inclined to think that I'm too restrictive, oppressive, or strict because of this, let me just remind you that this is how society functions. For example, as a conservative, I'm quick to defend a person's constitutional rights, whether they're free speech, their right to bear arms, their right to privacy, their right to a fair trial, etc. Having laws in a country is what ensues order, equity, and even peace as laws are enforced and crime is punished and thereby deterred. Having an official article of faith, a statement of faith, prevents heretics from taking a church. It can enable a congregation to defrock a renegade pastor, and it can provide a quick and helpful way for newcomers to know exactly what a congregation stands for, because after all, we need to stand for something. And again, the historicity, the historical nature of our statements of faith depicts something wonderful— that we are an ancient and historic people. Unlike the cults of the world, we didn't just spring into existence with no historical connection. We have a rich heritage of theology and worship from godly saints who went before us. In closing, I'll leave you with a question. If someone has an axe to grind against the expression of these bedrock principles that we commonly find in the form of a statement of faith, I just have to wonder what they're up to. What's the agenda? Why be among the people if you find fault with their core teachings and want to alter their most fundamental agreed-upon doctrines? Some things should not be up for discussion. These are the ancient landmarks, and we'd be wise to leave them in place where we found them. 
Again, I'm Ben Winslet, thanking you for listening to Words of Grace today, inviting you to write and let me know that you've received the broadcast, and also to tune in again next week at this time. Until then, may the Lord's richest blessings be yours, is my prayer. If you enjoy the messages you hear on Words of Grace, consider this your invitation to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. An online directory is available at marchtozion.com. Copies of this and other broadcasts are available for download on iTunes and on our website. And finally, Words of Grace is a listener-supported program. To contact us, address your correspondence to... Words of Grace Radio, 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741. Or visit us online at flintriverpbc.org.